SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thursday, August 20th. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. This is the early line right here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez. As usual, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, live and direct, helping me give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day. And we put the fun in functional sports content. And Kev, we've got a couple of series. Okay, and that's what's going to happen. Yesterday, we had, you know, the game, the teams that went out to open the playoffs, played their game twos. And so in a couple of situations, we've got teams that are getting out to a 2 nothing lead. In other situations, we have series that are tied 1-1 after two. What was your biggest takeaway from the action that we saw across the association yesterday? Because, you know, I think there are some teams that are announcing themselves as ready to go a la the Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. And there's some series that I think are going to go, you know, past the four, five, six, where we see TPD on kind of game times of game six and seven. I'm thinking some of those are going to come to fruition. (laughs) What did you notice yesterday? Yeah, you know, uh, yesterday, I think, because we're going to dive right into these games specifically. Um, But yesterday was the first time that uh, we did jump into the players' prop market in the playoffs, right? And you and I spent a good portion yesterday trying to identify some spots that we liked. Uh, and we had one in each game, and Donovan Mitchell, credit to him, man, like he followed up to 57 with somehow maybe even a better game because of the efficiency he put forward. Uh, but him going over his prop by a half point stopped us from a clean sweep. And now, listen, man, these things can come back to, to, to the normal year. I'm not here to wave a flag. Woo, we're the best ever. That's not the point. My point is, though, just that one game under the belt, I think, really helps have an idea of what you can kind of expect, Hmm. have an idea of who's going to come out the next game hungry. And and, and I just, those are the kind of things that ultimately uh, I think we're going to look to try and do again today. You know, again, we've been doing this a while, Dan, right? We, we know better Mm -hmm. than think that, Oh, I've beaten the props market. No, 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 no. Because as much as I lost the Mitchell thing by a hook, I won Kyle Lowry only by a half point. So we, I like, we know how this can fluctuate, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. how it goes. But I just think having that game under the belt really, really helps because you can get then a better feel, I think at least, as to what to expect for game number two. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, in this sports investment world, man, if you are at like 55%, you are doing A-OK. And obviously, Kevin, as I always say, there is a reason they keep on building those huge buildings in the desert, right? Someone's doing well down there, and it's usually not the public. But you talk about, you know, it's good to have a game under your belt. Uh, It is good to actually, in a game, be able to see one of your studs for 36 minutes on the court. That's how long Chris stops Porzingis 
was on the court yesterday, right? And he drops 23, supports with seven rebounds as well, but shoots over 50% from the field. And Kev, to me, this is a big reason, you know, you talk about that Dallas offense, right? And they're kind of points per 100% possessions and how amazing it was. Well, I got to tell you something. Now across two games, Kev, if the Dallas Mavericks have an eligible Kristaps Porzingis, they look like the better team. If I look at four halves that have been played, the only ones the Clippers were better in, as we recommend our radio audience across the country, including the mightier 1090 out there on the West Coast. Kev, honestly, right, in these two games, there have been four halves. The only half that I think the Clippers were better in, Mavericks didn't have KP. Yeah, no, I think that that's pretty undeniable at this point, right? And now the idea that the Mavs were going to have that game if Chris Stapps doesn't get tossed obviously has more legs when you, they followed up this performance. And uh, what a credit to their bench. Multiple guys giving them 13 or more. Three different guys actually fitting that description. And allowed mm-hmm. Luka Doncic to only play 28 minutes. Now, he again looked fantastic. 20 Eight points, eight boards, seven assists, but we talked about this, Dane. He's going to have to be better turning over the basketball or not doing that. Right. Only one turnover. Cut him yep. ten less turnovers. And it does to me bring up what might be a really big thing for this Clippers team. And that is Patrick Beverly. Now that's not to say that we didn't always know that Pat Bev was important, but when you talk about this team's defensive capabilities, right? right. You're gonna start at the top of the list with Kawhi then Paul George, and then Patrick Beverly, right? Usually, I think that is how you would discuss these guys. Clearly, this team missed Pat Bev. And I think part of that comes from the fact that Kawhi Leonard does carry a heavier offensive load and is in round one not going to play 48 minutes on both sides. And I'm not saying that he should, but that's just the the reality of it. And Paul George continues to offer up what I believe is one of the best nicknames in all of basketball, which is Playoff P, because I think it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened, where he called himself Playoff P and then proceeded, as we always like to say, Joe Ingles had this dude in the Boston Crab for a full series. <laughs> Last year, Damian Lillard sends him back in, no problem, and he's like, it's a bad shot. Like, dude, the series is over. Like, you got to let it go. And he showed up in full colors today. I don't think he made a three until the fourth quarter, four of 17 shooting, two of 10 from three. Paul George, like, and this is the thing. You might be like, ah, when's Paul George going to play that bad again? Game four? Game five? (laughs) Maybe both. Yeah, no, that's where I was going to go as well. Paul George, four of 17 from the floor, two of 10 from three-point land, right? Like, you know, maybe all these L.A. teams. Need to really get better shooting, but Paul George, we'll see if he bounces back in game three. When we come back, there's four, three other games from yesterday to pr- talk about and the four today. A lot of basketball to discuss. We're off and running right here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. (laughs) 
Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line on Sports Grid, Dave Martinez, and of course, as usual, Kevin Walsh. Kev, I got to ask you, remember yesterday how one of the points you made about the Lakers shooting was that, like, nobody had a shooting night that was, like, on par with what they usually do that, like, you know, looked like the basketball, basketball card? Well, I got to say mm-hmm. the exact opposite for what the Utah Jazz did yesterday okay the jazz won 124 to 105 against nuggets and as i look at some of these shooting performances right like i can't find someone that was below 50 cent 50 percent donovan mitchell 10 of 14 joe ingles as you know doesn't miss 7 of 12 right like royce o'neill 3 of 4 rudy gobert 7 of 10 you know they all even jordan clarkson doing damage off the bench with 26 points i mean they just were not missing you talk about an efficient performance you set it off Mm -hmm. there right like in game one donovan mitchell went off for like 57 points but yet there's a case to be made that he actually played a better game in the Jazz's Game 2 victory. Yeah, absolutely sickening as we bet this man under 25 <laughs> for him to have this level of efficiency. But credit to him, okay? Better than 70% from the floor, making 6 to 7 yeah. from 3. And it's very important to note here, okay, because the final box score is a little bit deceiving. 45% from 3, compare that to Denver's 48%. No. The Jazz had shot from three, 57% through three quarters. Fourth quarter of the game was done. He scored 20 points. Okay, so I thought, and I saw that, and I think that that's a very, very good point to make, that they just were scorching earth hot in this game. And now, there's a lot to figure out with this one, okay? And what's really interesting to me, the expectation is Mike Conley is going to be back for game number three it seems like it could come down to the wire but it seems like conley is going to be back and we now see okay going into game number three as as it currently sits the nuggets are laying two points that is very very substantial when you consider that when mike conley was supposed to be playing game number one and nobody knew they were laying three three and a half so now right. what they've basically done here is they're like, oh, we, we like what we've seen from Jazz. And they've moved this number on down. So I think that that is very noteworthy now. They believe that the Jazz are uh, a lot liver in this series coming out of this game. For hmm. me, I just think the big question is, you know, when it comes to Donovan Mitchell, is this about to be for real? Be- because, and I don't mean to say for don't real. Don't we know that already? Is he, is he about to be this consistent? No, we don't. He's just, this level of consistency is not what he's put forward thus far in his career. Like, the Donovan Mitchell we know shoots 35% from the floor, if that, in his next game. But mm. to be honest, do I have the confidence to go that direction? I don't know. But more importantly, Dan, because we've talked again about now what do these player prop markets look like, I have a, I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with him because, you know, his efficiency, his output out of this world, but usually he's a little inconsistent, and Mike Conley's coming back. That right, last number was true. 29 and a half. Do you think they leave it there? Do you think they take a couple points back and put it at 25 and a half, where it usually is when Mike Conley's around? Very interesting. It is interesting, and I think the biggest part of that is the added variable of Conley, as you discussed, right? Because, A, Conley's the one, he's going to have the ball in his hand. 
for most of the time, right? So you got to figure the game then on some level has to come to Mitchell. But of course, he makes the right play. I I, I do believe that it would, you know, you got to shave a little bit off of Mitchell's production if and when Conley does come back. But you're right. I mean, Mitchell has been amazing, not only with the output in game one, but the efficiency in game two. Let me ask you about it this way, because out of every series I've seen so far, right, um, I believe at least what we are seeing are maybe two evenly matched teams. Like, I believe out of all these series so far, I would be the most confident that this one is going to go long. Um, Kev, so I wanted to ask you, there's this market about like the series total games, right? And we've talked about mm. this, but in other conversations, the idea of like, maybe you get value because the books are, th- are, are handicapping it with a little bit of, uh, inconsistency. That's the way we've talked about this. Right. And we've talked about it in a way of like, Oh, Hey, maybe it'll be in five and you get an extra 10, 15 cents of juice because it could happen the other way. But in this series, I think it's interesting because it could go either way. And there is value, in my opinion. I want to ask you about this, Kev. You know, I've, my fundamental premise here is I do not think in this series either one of these teams is going to win the next three in a row. Okay? I don't think it's going five. Right? That's what it would be. Like one team all of a sudden gets dominant from here on out. If you look at the series total games market for the Nuggets, and the Jazz. Five games plus 255. Six games plus 152. Seven games plus 158. Kev, I know it could be seen as getting a little cute, but mm. technically, I could bet six and seven games in this series. Come out on top. Yes, you could. Now, if you play these, let's just say for a hundred a pop, right? Yep. And you're winning between fifty-two and fifty-eight dollars. So yep. we're taking a risk here, but if I'm doing some math right, you're kind of risking two hundred to win fifty. So let me yep. put it to you this way: Would you bet minus four hundred this series doesn't go five? I I think I would. I mean, you know, I, I think I would. I do not see one of these teams, or in the Jazz case, them winning four in a row. Or Denver coming back and winning three in a row. I, I think this is going to be one of those tighter series. And and I can get either team in six, either team in seven, right? 100%. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm I think just it's saying, interesting. I think you're right. When you add it up and do the math, it, you're right. It does wind up being something like that because of, um, you know, the all the outcomes possible. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know uh, I don't want to lay, like, minus 390 on much of anything. Right. And that's what it right. would be. But yeah, maybe I would have that level of confidence. Like if it's Amanda I'm, Nunes in the octagon, I'll lay it. Right. So, my, yeah. I guess, I guess just my, my, you know, minus four. I don't think typically I just make that point because, yes, you point. look at it and you go, but I just think typically, right. You know, you wouldn't lay minus 400 on like the Clippers right now to win their You are correct. Minus 340, right. I know that, you know, and I know you've kind of been going back and forth, but I believe that's the team that you still have to win the title. Like, then to get out of the first round is minus 340. Right. So, it's you know what I'm saying? I just, I get your point. But to be honest, and you're right, I, 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 before the playoffs, I did talk about the Clippers, right? But at the same time, I also said, you know, this Luka and KP is live, right? So, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe, it's just what I've also seen in the first two games of this series is another yeah. piece that makes me think this one goes long. 
Which, which again, I'm not disagreeing with. Like, if someone were to ask me, is this going to end sure. in five? I'd say no. And maybe right. somebody would tell you that it should be priced at higher than minus 400. Maybe it should be minus five, minus 600. So maybe you are getting value. I just think that, I just think it is important to note that it's basically a minus 400 bet. It absolutely is important to note that, um, but there is a universe that exists in sports investing, Kev, where something could be that crazy of a number, right? Something that we kind of are allergic to and are like, not nah, chill. And yet there are cases where it could still represent value, okay? Not to mm-hmm. say that like you want to put it in, not to say that it's smart, but it could still represent value even at that kind of a number. That's why I bring up something like Amanda Nunez, the octagon, you know what I mean? But absolutely, anything else you saw from this series, what do you think about Jokic and Gobert going back and forth at each other like this? You know, it's interesting to me, um, but there, there were times when Gobert was, you know, had him in the Boston Crab and other times where Jokic looks like the most skilled big, big man on this planet. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jokic has no fear going at this guy. It's very obvious. 28 points, 11 boards, 6 assists, was pretty efficient, all things considered. Um, but, you know, and Michael Porter Jr. played really well. It just, I think it comes down to the fact that their bench should not give them a lot. And by the way, we should know, Will Barton, gone from the bubble, probably not mm. coming back. And we do not know when Gary Harrison. Maybe those losses are hurting this team more than we kind of gave it credit for. Yeah, and remember, we've talked about this, right? The depth will be tested eventually. Uh, so that's unfortunate news about some of the nuggets that are necessary. We come back and talk about these other series, but we got the news update right now. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to Sports Grid, of course, including our radio audience around the country, the mightier 1090 out there. Thank you for waking up on the West Coast with us. I am Dane Martinez. I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, with me, as always, bright and early in the morning, giving you the edge. That's what we do here on the early line. And, Kev, the Boston Celtics also went up 2-0 in their series against Philadelphia. They get a W, 128-101. to And listen, this game was tight after the first half, okay? We were tied at halftime, and then the Boston Celtics blew the doors off of the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, 38 points to kind of come back in the second quarter, another 33 in the third, led by Jason Tatum, who, you know, listen, is shooting well, 60% from the field. He had 33 points. Jalen Brown, also a nice game. Kemba Walker as well. Listen, these two young wing players for the Boston Celtics are truly ascending. I know somebody who talked about that before the playoffs, but even without Gordon Hayward, the Celtics offense looks good. We talked about Joel Embiid needing to be completely dominant. Kev has a nice box score with 34 and 10, but not enough to get it done for Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, look, the Sixers came out on a 25 to 11 run. Yeah. Think about that, right? They were up 14 early. The lead got cut to six by the time the first quarter was over. And by the time they went into half, they were lucky to only be down six. I mean, they gave it back almost instantly, did this team. Now, there's two ways to look at this. 
with the Gordon Hayward injury, one of the things that we have pretty consistently seen in the NBA is that initial first game without a player pop from a team. Mm. They seemingly understand the importance. They step up. They're extra motivated. Everybody expects them to feel the absence immediately, and they don't. And the Celtics scored a buck 28, and you would look at this and say, man, we're were they being held back by Gordon Hayward? I mean, they, they look fantastic. <laughs> and they scored They're better without nearly, him, Kev. They're better without him. Exactly. They scored almost 20 more points without him. But I think that is noteworthy in that potentially does this next game around, when we next go around, do they feel his absence a little bit more? The, li- the real lingering question is, does it matter? Because the right. Sixers had that great first quarter. And honestly... You could argue they left some meat on the bone by only putting up 33 with how hot they started. That team came out to start the second half. I had a live bet on this team. I thought they'd start to shoot a little bit better. They had two points through the first four or five minutes of the first half. Offensively, it was bad. I, I mean, mm-hmm. Joel Embiid offensively was great. 34 points. That's yeah. what you, know, you want to see from him. He was continually aggressive. But Tobias Harris, another wildly inefficient game. Al Horford only scores four points, takes three shots. The team as a whole shoots five of 21 from deep. And, you know, can that get better? Sure. I think we're looking at this, though. And I kind of was, you know, in my mind, Dane, just trying to figure out Mm -hmm. the Sixers team more and more and more. What do I want to do with this team going into game three, game four? Is team really going to get swept here? And with this Ben Simmons injury, I think it's starting to stand out to me a little bit more that the way that this team was going to win the title, if that was actually going to be a thing that they were going to do, it was going to be by being the best defensive team in the league. And mm-hmm. they've lost arguably their best defensive player because I know people hold Embiid and have very high regard, but on, of this season, of perimeter for sure, yeah, yeah, und- undoubtedly their best perimeter defender because Ben Simmons is one of the best perimeter defenders the NBA has to offer, right? right? And now. They obviously, you know, Matisse Thibault was great. But that's just a lot to ask from him. Al Horford right. lost step. But offensively, like, Josh Richardson's more defense than offense. I, he's a good player. Tobias Harris, the way he's struggling on the offensive side is not great. Shake Milton, Matisse Thibault, like, these are just not guys that you're supposed to be trusting in this spot. Alec Burks, right. and people are like, man, what a bad game from Alec Burks. I cannot believe that we're relying here on Alec Burks. Like, this team was supposed to be a defense first lock you down type of squad they're missing ben simmons which is going to make that almost impossible and now on the offensive side and this is you know back-to-back games here where they weren't even able to touch 105 and that's very very concerning so then wait a second kev because i hear everything you're saying but then it confuses me when you say you don't know how to play philadelphia moving forward everything you've said seems to lend itself to one direction on how to play Philadelphia sure. moving forward, and it's to fade them. And I would also ask you, you know, we've talked about the character of certain teams, right? The vibe, the connectivity, the culture of some teams. I think we have both said we don't necessarily peg Philly as the kind of mature team that's going to handle adversity, bounce back, and kind of show their toughness now that they are down to nothing. So let me ask you, like, what's on the other side of of your mind because everything you're saying out loud at least seems to make the decision pretty clear for you. So I think typically you would 
this game would have one big three-point shooting performance in them. And at the end of the day, right, like let's just say I think this series is going to be able to get to five. Well, that means I got one game here where, you know, you would be able to pick a spot. Like, do we think yeah. the Celtics are going to sweep them? Like, and this is the tough thing about this, right? If the Celtics were up 2-0 after two, okay, playing at TD Garden, like, eh, no, no surprise there, but they're going back to Philly. Right. We're not going back to Philly now, right? So that's probably why, oh, maybe a sweep is more likely. But p- another part of it, again, is, you know, does the Gordon Award absence catch up to them a little bit more in, say, a game three or a game four? And I just also think Tobias Harris is currently – 10 of 30 from the field in this series. Now, I know that this team has very good winged uh, perimeter defenders in, in the Boston Celtics between Smart, Tatum, Brown. But you usually expect better games from Tobias Harris there. And I would even argue to you that, you know, while Embiid put up, you know, 34 and 10 and was fantastic in that regard and only had two turnovers, 11 of 21 from the field. I mean, his player prop going into the second half was 41 and a half. Like, they were just like, oh, yeah, he's going to score another 20 because he can do whatever he wants to this team. Like, I would tell you that Embiid still has a better game in him. So maybe I'm when I say I don't know what to do here, it's it's the Celtics are going to advance through this series. It would be – it would floor me to see any other result. But right. I think unless you believe this is going to be a clean sweep, which in my opinion might be a little bit of an overreaction for two games, then we still have games three or four. We would have to pick our spot with Philly. Yeah, that's fair. I don't. I don't think Boston's going to sweep them necessarily, but uh, I do think it could be five. And and I think the more predominant kind of analysis for me is a feeling that you know the Philadelphia 76ers have never been constructed as a team that like will kind of avoid the you know Cancun on three kind of mindset. And I think that they could be dead man walking. You also, I know from our conversations on other shows here, don't necessarily believe Brett Brown is the right man to like kind of snap them out and lead them to a comeback in this series. So we shall see what they look like without Gordon Hayward, they being the Celtics. But Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are a combination on the wing that is going to be heard from in this NBA playoffs. There was one other game, too, that I do want to get to before we have the break, Kev. And the Toronto Raptors, it's it's so interesting, right? Like, they ho-hum, keep going along, continue to dominate, you know, and Gabe Morency would be proud but they keep on doing what they are supposed to do. We see Milwaukee get tripped up in a game one. We see the Lakers sleepwalk early, right? That doesn't happen with these Toronto Raptors. Now, yes, the Nets were up in this game, you know, for a lot of it, but it didn't matter. You know, the the Toronto Raptors come storming back. And after all the love, Kev, we've been giving to Karis LeVert recently um, here for this Nets team and their kind of fight. They only go down by five, but I got to tell you, any game where Karis LeVert goes five of 22 from the field, Nets ain't winning that one, Kev. No, but again, like you said they were in this thing throughout. They were. To, like, yes, they were. Look, yes, they're up 2-0. They're playing the worst team of any of the top seeds that, like, when we go one through one and twos, they're playing the worst team, in my opinion, undoubtedly. Uh, now, there's a big story here is that Joe Harris is gone. Okay, he's left the bubble for a non-medical reason, and he's had 14 points. He had 15 boards, which is crazy. Logged 39 minutes yeah. for this team, as if as if they can lose, can afford to lose another guy. If he were to uh, rejoin this team, they'd have to push it to six or seven. They'd be lucky to grab one, right? The most interesting thing for this series to me moving forward, and again, give Brooklyn their credit. They covered that number pretty comfortably, okay? Yeah. 
the most interesting thing for, for me in this series, though, is going to be the prop market. So you mentioned Karis LeVert, right? Mm-hmm. And what they're going to do with his number. Scored 15 in the first game, 16 in, in this one. But his efficiency has been terrible. 5 of 14, I think, in game one, and now 5 of 22 in this last game here, Dane. But the attempts are there. So how much can they move this number down? Because they because right. as long as the attempts are there, they might get right. burned. But also, what are they going to do with his assist prop? The other day, I think I saw it at 7.5, really, really juiced. Game one, 15 in assists, comes back around with 11 assists. But could he now, if that number gets bumped up, do they dare post a 9.5 without Joe Harris? Does that become a little bit more difficult of a proposition for him? Now, Joe right. Harris only made you know four shots, and I don't know how many of those Harris did uh, assist on, but I just think that is also a part of that conversation. And then on the other side of this, Dane, from the prop market perspective, okay? I mentioned mm-hmm. I played Lowry over 20 and a half. We got the 21. Uh, it felt deserved. I felt like he should have scored mm-hmm. more, but that's okay. We were get, we got it by the hook. But I left this game, to be honest with you, saying, all right, I'm happy, but we might have been playing the wrong guy here on Toronto because they've got three main scorers, right? Lowry, right. Siakam, Van Vliet. Van Vliet is pretty consistently priced as the third guy, the third fewest points in the prop market. Thus wow. far, has been this team's leading scorer and had double-digit yeah. assists in both of these games. We need to be very, very aware of what they do with his props in this next game. Because if they okay. don't over if they don't over adjust, we might be attacking a guy listed as option three that actually might be option number one. Listen, I've been telling you, Kev, about Freddie Van Fleet. I think he's got a max contract on the horizon. That'll do it for the games we take get our takeaways from. We turn our attention to today's action, the props, the totals, the lines, all that when we come back on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line on SportsGrid. Dave Martinez and Kevin Walsh giving you the edge. Kevin, let's turn our attention to the four games that are going on today as these series get going with their game twos. We start with the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat. Remember, the Heat got a win in the first one, 113 to 101. I say that because 113 and 101, remember, Kev, I do the math for us here on the early line. So by last check, those two things add up to be 214. And I am intrigued by the 215 total on the board today for this game. It is by far, Kevin, the lowest of the four totals today. The Miami Heat will come into this one as four and a half point favorites. I got to think the biggest thing in this one, remembering game one, Victor Oladipo left the game early without Oladipo with Jimmy Butler focused on T.J. Warren, as we know he will be, without the mass Singer, how are the Pacers going to put the bucket in the basket, the ball in the basket? Yeah, I, I don't know, honestly. Uh, so you look okay. at this last game here. No, but, I mean, they scored 101 in the last meeting. In in my opinion, game number six in the restart, is the, it actually matters because it felt like both right. teams were really going for it. And they were held to 92 points here. I don't trust them 
This number is low, criminally low. This should be this should be like you know biggest play of the day. You know five percent of the bankroll, whatever you know all that. Like right, that, right. this should be that. This should be that. But I don't trust the Pacers enough. So I think if you want to play this, I might look to isolate the Miami Heat team total of what I believe is one hundred nine and a half. And this team has scored 113 and 114 in those two meetings. And they have bigger offenses, offensive performances. Because here's my thing, and maybe you'll disagree here, because maybe you think the Pacers have more legs in this uh, upcoming game. But I would be, I don't really see a world where this game gets over and the Heat don't go over their team total. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I think that especially if Oladipo, and remember he is questionable at this point, I, I think it would be a problem for uh, Indiana. And I also believe that Miami, um, yes, will score in this one. I, I got to tell you the truth out of these series. And I know this is like a four or five kind of matchup. And technically Miami's the five. I think out of the games that we are seeing today, um, this one uh, may be, uh, I guess, you know, Milwaukee and they got a big 12 point spread, but I, I, I think Indiana is something close to dead man walking in this series. Everyone was fascinated by the kind of performance Miami had in game one on both sides of the floor. I find it hard to, you know, find the path for these Pacers to get right back in this series. Like how, like, let's put it this way, Kev, what are the indicators you would need to see in watching this game in the first half to be like, Oh no. Indiana is there. Like, what are you looking for? Is it a kind of flow on offense? Is it something on the defensive side of the ball? What would it be like? Let's say this was an in-game live kind of situation. What would you be looking for to gain faith or confidence in the Pacers? Because I can't find it. I would probably be, oh, look, they had a hot game from deep. They're up 15. It's going to be right. hard for Miami to come back. I mean, like, you know what? Like, as long yeah. as this thing's tight, I would trust Miami to come away with this game here. I just don't know. Look, and it's not a knock on the Pacers, man. They just don't think they have the horses. Their all-star's gone. Their yep. former all-star might not be available. TJ mm -hmm. Warren, their new all-star, is nowhere near 100%. I mean, the ask here is just a lot. For a team that, Dane, like, if everything was even, right, the Heat would probably still be small favorites. If Sabonis right. and Oladipo, like, they would still be small favorites. There's just so much working against this team. So I think here, you know, I like Miami again. I backed them to win this series in less than seven. If you wanted to go with a player prop that I'm interested in, it's Duncan yeah. Robinson. His points Ooh, made, 12 and a half. Oh, okay. made threes is three and a half. So I think both of those are more than live where he came off of the <clears> game that he was two of eight from deep. Uh, yeah. He'll keep going. He'll keep shooting uh, and he'll get his. So, that's going to be, I think, one prop market I might see myself playing in. Fair enough. I was intrigued by that as well. There is no props for Victor Oladipo, so keep on watching out for that. And if not, who on the Pacers could soak up some of that usage rate, something to look for. As we go to the next game here, Kev, you know, this one is intriguing to me. OKC and Houston, right? The revenge tour for Chris Paul continues. I got to ask you, the Rockets are two-and-a-half-point favorites, right? They get the winning in game one. OK, and yes. they, you know, play well, they shoot, you know, well, they score 123 points without Russell Westbrook. Right. Um, is this going to catch up to them over time or do you have faith that the Rockets can just keep on bombing away? 
So they're going to keep bombing away regardless, right? And the question is always going to be how efficient can they be in this game? Now, I told you, my big worry here was the defensive strategy that Billy Donovan put forward that allowed James Harden to have 37 points quite comfortably, and I think very well. It could be his series low if like Westbrook doesn't come back. I, I legitimately right. feel that that defensive strategy can lend itself to this. However, okay, two things mm-hmm. that really stood out to me from this game. that Well, one of them is not a standout, but it's just the point with the Rockets. They go up and down. So if they just went up, Dane, they're on their way down. That's just what we usually <laughs> expect from this team. Well, okay? the variance of it all, yeah. Right, but I, I admit to being nervous about you know getting ready for the down because of how they're defending Harden. They might be able to keep such a base level of production if that defensive strategy continues. But the reason why it might not, as well as their offensive game plan taking a bit of a shift and potentially turning the corner, was just kind of a very uh, forward, I think, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, as well as Billy Donovan, just talking about the defensive strategy that the Rockets put forward, somewhat catching them a little bit off guard. Now, honestly... Watch tape. I don't know why they probably spent way too much time watching the games they matched up. Nope, those games were meaningless. Clint Capella's gone, but right. they were like, "Listen, we saw some things, and we'll we'll correct and we'll adjust here." So, and I think you're, you know, for the most part, people still like Billy Donovan as a coach. I would say, right? So you would people would would think mm-hmm. that he can make those necessary adjustments, and you trust a guy like Chris Paul to figure it out here. So, uh, look, Dane, we've not locked anything in yet. But okay. you know, forget the forget the two and a half points. Plus one twenty four, the Thunder on the money line here, and, and catch the Rockets on their way down is going to be something I'm looking at. C- consider that this is, you know, some might say a four point overreaction. That's a big move. That's a very very big move from one game to the next. No, I hear you. And remember, we've been talking about this Houston Rockets team in a specific way for the better part of five months, Kev. Right? That the idea of their variance is key. And we talk about, like, will they shoot over 40% from three, right? They put up the 120-something in game one. You're talking about this up and down, right? Obviously, I believe you're right. The variance is there. You can zig when other people zag. I do want to ask you, though, you're talking about the way the Thunder will defend James Harden. And we talked about this, I believe, after game one or previewing game one. It's kind of a fork in the road, right? The the pick your poison aspect. I fundamentally believe, uh, you know, and press me if you think I'm wrong, that it's one of two options, right? You either try to slow down Harden, right, by running the double teams and all that stuff, and then the other guys can beat you, right? Uh, the, The Eric Gordons of the world, like whatever it is, right? Or you don't leave to support on Harden, right? You make sure these other guys don't have open threes when you pass the rock around the perimeter. But in that scenario, Harden's liable to go off for 53, right? Mm. So if you think you know which way Donovan and the Thunder will play it, doesn't there have to be opportunity in the prop bet market, right? Because either you're thinking, oh, they're going to stay home on everybody else. I'm taking the over on Harden. He's going to go off. Mm. Or if they're gonna, if you think they're gonna try to, you know, slow James Harden, isn't there probably an opportunity with I don't know Covington, Gordon, PJ Tucker, someone else 
you know, that is going to wind up getting, you know, the open threes in rotation and having to pick up the slack if they look to uh, put Harden in the Boston Crab? So I think that Gordon might have value regardless coming off of a 20 point game because he's option number two. Uh, and you would think that he's going to be able to, you know, 17 and a half. I think that that might there is just where you can play this. Here's the issue, though, Dane, honestly. With the way that they're playing, right, so the idea is Harden will have to beat us. We won't help off, except that doesn't work because he goes right past, let's say, Dennis Schroeder, and instinctively they help off because, of course, they do because James Harden is about a walk to the basket. And then he throws it at Daniel House in the corner, who goes, do I want this open three or should I swing it once more? Nah, I'll swing it once more. And then our coordinator's wide open, down bottom of the net. And that, so they're, that's the problem with right. the strategy, is they're, they're not doing either one. They think they're saying, oh, we'll let Harden beat him. Because here's the thing, Harden only had three assists, probably had 15 hockey assists, though. That's the problem right. with the way that they, that the way, they're attacking this Swing offensive it. game plan. I understand what you're saying, right? You should be able to mm-hmm. choose either or. But this game plan lends itself, in my opinion, to not picking either and getting torched. They scored 123, Dane, and they played 16 awful minutes of offense, 19 in the fourth quarter, and the first half of uh, that yeah. first quarter, for the most part, they were pretty slow as well. But that team woke up and just started, I mean, they started to do whatever they wanted on the offensive side. Yeah, I hear you, Kevin. Remember, the the the, the saying is pick your poison, right? So you yeah. kind of have to go one or the other, right? Like, no one wants to, like, drink, you know, drink poison and get a bullet to the head at the same right. time, right? You want to pick one or the other, but it sounds like you're saying that the Oklahoma City defense is not fully committing to one strategy or the other. Kev, we only got a couple of minutes before the break. And so I do want to touch on Orlando, Milwaukee. Like, I think it comes down to like, are they going to be able to do it again? Or is Milwaukee going to instead, you know, did they wake the sleeping giant? And does Milwaukee absolutely boat race them in game two? The books think they might. It's 12 and a half for a spread. Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of chewed your ear off during our pre-show meeting, trying to figure out what to do with this buck. How to play it. Yeah. Let me give you guys, though, what was an awesome angle that Gabe Morency played yesterday here. And I'll give him all the credit uh, in the world for it. It made so much sense. He took every single team that lost in game one in the first quarter yesterday, and it was a clean sweep. Mm. Clean sweep. The Brooklyn Nets won the first quarter, and the Sixers won the first quarter, as did, obviously, the Mavs and the Jazz. So for me, man, do I want to lay 12 and a half? I'm not sure. But if I were to tell you, and you maybe I'm getting a little too cute here, but minus four and a half for the Bucks in the first quarter. I mean, just them to be up by five, it sounds so small to me. It does. Now, you kind of do the math. You're actually taking them to now be up by like 20 over the course of the game, kind of on on the averages (laughs) there. But like, man, if this team does not come out in the first quarter, looking to absolutely blitz this team. And maybe they never will. And four and a half is a heck of a lot less than 12 and a half, even though I know we're doing it under far less time. I might be back in the Bucks in the first quarter spread, Dane, and then going from there. Let me ask you one more thing about this. I see a first half Bucks total of 59 and a half. Um, if, if your theory is that they're going to blitzkrieg them early, 
What about just doing instead of a spread, but on like a Milwaukee team total? Yep, I like that a lot. I mean, there's a chance that this team has 70, even, you know, trying to go the other way too on on an under Orlando. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they score 18 points in one of those first two quarters. Yep, it wouldn't shock me if Giannis does not need to play the fourth quarter in this one. We will wrap up our number one. We talk Major League Baseball and NFL news and notes as well. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, here on the early line, getting you the edge on sports grid, Dane Martinez, and of course, Kevin Walsh. Kev, I said it was a jam-packed day in the association today, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention more than just the four games going off. We'll obviously talk about the nightcap when we come back to lead off our number two. But Kev, there is also today some ping pong balls flying around, or metaphorically speaking, right? As the NBA draft lottery will also be televised in between two of the games today. So, um, you know, it's interesting because in the NHL, we had our guys come on and talk about how it was a little bit weird. And I got to tell you, it's a little bit weird. You know, we've seen teams like Phoenix and Washington and Sacramento and, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies. And now we're going to be talking about those teams in, in a completely different context. You know, I'm hoping the Knicks wind up getting it. But uh, what do you think is going down in the draft lottery? And who are some of the names we're talking about? Wiseman, Ball, and the like? Yeah, so first of all, just know last year was absolute madness when it came to those ping pong balls. Because they completely changed the odds, and you had the Pelicans with like the 11th best odds, and they ended up winning the whole thing. The Lakers Knicks fans still thought it was going to be top four. At that point, Knicks fans thought it was going to be Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Zion Williamson in the Garden. Yeah. Remember? Which was, and of course, they wound which up was okay always hilarious. You know, Ja would have wound up okay at number two as well. No slide on RJ. But so, what do we think is going to happen tonight? Look, I'm, I'm very, very excited. I'm, you know, we probably see all the mock drafts break out right away. Uh, Anthony Edwards is the favorite to go number yeah. one overall at minus one ten. What's interesting is if these odds move once the order gets set, because this will go from kind mm. of number one overall pick to who will X draft. So right, that right. is a very big difference. Now, also, I mean, whoever gets that pick could very well trade it. But I just think that's a big point to note here, where if you maybe think there's a couple of more teams that would take, say, a Lamella ball over an Anthony Edwards at three to one, you want, might want to make that move now before everything yeah. moves. You know, and I'm reminded this might be before your time, but one season when the Spurs were horrible, even though they had David Robinson, who was injured, they wind up getting Tim Duncan. Watch where the Golden State Warriors wind up as they reload. Our number two is next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 